a greyhound to the county line. She's reading Marx and Lenin all the time. She says, Jesus freak, you're such a fool. I say, Satan loves you, thinks you're cool. She's a socialist of the highest degree. I'm a communist. Her mother hates me. You're an anarchist. You don't want anything from me. I'm a Satanist. At least that's what I think I might be. At least that's what I think I might be. We danced until the sun was gone. All right. Hello. Hello. Um, that's Asher. And that is not Hazel anymore. And this is... <laughs> Speak, Speak of, of the, the devil. devil! We fucking synchronized it. I think we, we did. finally did it. We finally fucking did it. Oh my god. Okay, so uh, what the hell is your name now? Um, well, we're going with uh, Vincent called Vix, so that's different. Um, and I mean, today we have a small aside before we get to the actual show show. We have a couple of small asides. Okay, yes. Well, I mean, why don't you tell our six or so listeners your exciting news? Um, okay, so although we didn't end up doing the ritual rituals that I had written out, um, I kind of ended up doing something resembling the completion of my baptism last night in the rain, so that was really exciting and cool. Um, I don't really want to go into a ton of detail right now, we can do an episode on that later, but... Well, I think what's important to uh, touch on is in the black baptism, um, renouncing of your old name. Right. Is often very traditional. And um, that's not too hard to do if one is, um, say, trans. Yep. Um, <laughs> so it works for us. But yes. yeah, I mean, I, I did a black baptism on myself back in May and... Yep. Oh, oh God. <laughs> Sorry, we were just recording this thing. It's okay. I I'll I, I'll edit the audio. It'll be yeah. Fine. You can take it out, right? Yeah, I can yeah. cut it, or I can leave it in if it's funny. Um, <laughs> With mom intervening. <laughs> okay. Yep. Um, and so yeah. So was, yes, um, I created a black baptism uh-huh. ritual, um, taking material out of, out of the Compendium Maleficarum, which is an old mm-hmm. witch hunting text, and which also hilariously uh kind of includes an 11 step program for committing your soul to satan as one uh, does yeah as one does so i adapted that um went through it it's very transformative for me and um you made your own adaptation yep which i did one version of i want to do a second version because the first version felt very like a renunciation and so i kind of wanted to do one that felt I did the death part, I kind of want to do the rebirth part. And yeah. I kind of did, but I still do want the community ritual. Cause... Well, what I was, my joke that I was yeah. making is it'll be almost more like a confirmation. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, so anyway, yes, uh, congratulations. Thank you, darling. Uh, born again Satanist. Um, <laughs> and then on less happy news, I feel the need to comment on the snafu with the Satanic Temple which uh, previously we'd sort of felt like they were all right sort 
alt-right sorts of people. <laughs> um, I almost said alt-right sorts because that's kind of what's uh, coming to light now, unfortunately. Um, um, now there's still many people who previously were involved with the Satanic Temple, or, you know, in some cases still are, who are quite lovely. But um, Lucian Greaves, the founder of the Satanic Temple, um, in his desire to sue Twitter on grounds of religious discrimination for banning him for a while or something, um, has decided to use a lawyer, uh, Mark Randaza, I keep wanting to say Randoza, Randaza, um, who is known for representing alt-right and neo-Nazi clients. Um, this is a bit of a fiasco, um, yep. we'd previously felt like the Satanic Temple was kind of the only name in, uh, fairly left-wing Satanism. Well, liberal yeah. more than left-wing, but you yeah. know, they, they weren't Nazis. It was nice. They're, you know, very pro-choice. Um, yep. they seemed cool. Um, and now there's just chapters, um, splitting. unaffiliating and splitting left and right. Yeah. And it's a whole mess. So that's uh, Today in Satanism. <laughs> could be worse. Yeah, yeah. Could be the 80s. <laughs> it could be the 80s. Um, so, I mean, that happened, and I think that we should just reiterate that we... Don't like fascism? We really don't like fascism. And we can't be 100% sure... Because that would be hubristic. Yeah. But I have a feeling that Satan doesn't like fascism either. Yep. Um, so, today, we have a very special guest. Yes. Um, so, we are interviewing um, my delightful brother, Hardy, um, who is at, what is it? Union Theological okay. in New York, Yep, which is uh, the Theological Seminary of Columbia University. Yep. And... Uh, He's getting a Master's of Divinity mm-hmm. uh, and is an Episcopalian and delightful and lovely and really, really smart. And we kind of wanted to do an interfaith episode. It's not going to be a debate. It's not going to be like Satanists versus the Christians. We want to have a nice discussion because it's theologically interesting. And, you know, um, yeah. <laughs> Hi, everybody. Yeah, I'm Hardy. Nice to meet you. Yeah. <laughs> the, all the friendly Satanists out there. <laughs> I know, I was actually commenting that um, just before I, I uh, came to see these guys, I, kept, I was having this nightmare of this bat flying into my <laughs> dorm room at the seminary, and I was wondering if that was a, a sort of satanic intervention in my, sort of trying to tempt me in my, in my cloister. Uh, <laughs> But so far, it's been a really nice experience with the Satanists. So, uh, <laughs> well, that's, yeah. that's really fascinating. And actually, um, this is a question I haven't asked you yet. Um, probably, so it's been my experience that sort of, um, how shall I put this? The nicer the Christian, the less they have to say about the devil. Oh, that's interesting. Um, so I didn't necessarily really expect you to have a whole lot to say mm-hmm. about Satan. But if you do have um, your own idea about that, um, we'd be happy. Good, yeah, I'd be fascinated. Yeah, that's and a, not it's mad. a good. No, it's a very good question. Yeah, and I think you're totally right, which is that the generally there's a kind of 
direct correlation between how culturally conservative someone mm -hmm. is mm -hmm. and how interested they are in Satan as a real force in a way. Yeah. yeah. I would say, um, and I don't know. I mean, yeah, the theological history of that is probably complex, but mm -hmm. I actually have been in a funny process. I tend to take a view of, I think a lot of my liberal peers in Christianity, mm -hmm. uh, left wing liberal, you know, whatever progressive Christians, uh, mm -hmm tend to have a slightly um, allergic reaction to the <laughs> long arc of Christian history. Um, they like to kind of disown a lot of what happened before the early 20th century, mm -hmm. really. Um, and for me, I think part of my practice uh, as a Christian is really to try to reconcile this huge intellectual tradition that I have sort of yeah. at my disposal and think about what a lot of these ideas actually meant to people. So recently mm -hmm. I have developed... I. I uh, will confess a, a bit of an interest in kind of demonology mm -hmm. and the, the yeah. thought about evil spirits and the reality yeah. of evil. And I think it's an important point, actually, uh, um, in a lot of ways. I would say Satan rarely comes into my thinking because thinking of reality as defined by a, a binary opposition of good and evil is mm -hmm. very much not part of a Christian theology, right? You have a kind of unipolar theology with Christianity. Yeah. But demons, I think, are interesting to me. Where I, I like to yeah. think of demons as um, the idea of duplicity, temptation, and um, sort of doubleness. Mm -hmm. There's a great line, um, I think it's from yeah. Origin, where he says, uh, demons have no bodies. Actually, it might be Athanasius of Alexandria. Mm -hmm. He says, demons have no bodies, they need ours. Mm -hmm. And so he conceptualizes demons as these kind of, these intrusive thoughts almost, these kind of yeah. like, this presence, mental presence of negativity that can be incarnated by our individual, you know, mm -hmm. how we live our lives or something. Yeah. Um, but yeah, as far as Satan, I am, I have been curious to, to talk about it with you guys because my impression of Satan in the Bible is, you know, in the Old Testament... Satan appears as this kind of angel, angelic tempter, yeah. largely, right? And then in the New Testament, has a fairly limited representation except for Christ's temptations again, yeah. um, mm -hmm. which I think are, I mean, those ones are particularly beautiful. I love um, the where he's offered the, all the kingdoms of the world. I think it's Oh, see, fantastic. I love that yeah. bit too, but I think probably in a very different way. Oh, from extremely. Me. Yeah. yeah. Yes. No, the temptations are fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, we were going to... Yeah, what's your what's your Okay, so my take is he's essentially arguing with Christ about the rectitude of what he is going to do. Mm -hmm. And so he's like, well, the first one is, you know, the in both gospels that discuss it mm -hmm. um is the bread. Yeah, the turning the stone into yeah. bread, yeah. And that one is like, why are you torturing yourself? Mm -hmm. You don't need to do this. Mm -hmm. Um and then I tend to take the view of the tower as the second one, but... Yeah, I think that's that's the second one, right? Uh, it, well, to jump off? Well, it, it's different. It's reversed uh, Matthew and Luke. Oh, Those two are yeah, yeah, flipped yeah. around. Um, interesting. And to me, that's like... If he doesn't save you, he doesn't love you enough. Uh-huh. But if he does save you, he's denying you free will, kind of. Uh-huh. I also... Um, that one is particularly poignant to me and actually that one's fun because that's the one where the devil uh does cite scripture yeah i know i remember um, is it, is it, what is, he, it, is it isaiah it's a psalm i believe oh I yeah which yeah. one 
but um, you know, I know it's like his angels charge concerning me. And um, if you have the conceptualization of Lucifer as Mm -hmm. having fallen, Mm -hmm. it it gets kind of personal feeling, yeah, right there. Like he's saying, "Oh yeah, well you know, you just try testing." Uh the father and Uh see if he still has love for you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, Oh, that's interesting, yeah. And then when Christ answers, uh, thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Sorry, I always use King James translation. Yeah. uh, Just because it's pretty. Yeah, I like it too, yeah. (laughs) Um, But that almost comes, almost comes like a personal dig. No, that makes so much sense. It's a really fascinating dynamic between the two of them. Yeah, that's like Jesus and the Miltonic Satan, really. Yeah. 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 And then to me, the kingdoms of the world one is actually a sort of like, this is literally what he's doing, which is if you will but kneel to him, he will give you rulership over everything. You're going to, obviously. Yeah. Um, And so Satan's like, how is it different when I ask you to kneel? Why is it okay when he does? Yeah, yeah. That's an interesting... And so to me, it's a debate. I also think it's very interesting because I am pretty sure that Jesus does not answer him without scripture. Mm -hmm. He doesn't just engage in his own Mm -hmm. words, Mm -hmm. which is something that, like, makes me feel a little bit squirmy and icky about Christ just because of, like, my views. Mm -hmm. Like, it it doesn't feel like full engagement. Yeah. But it's also... Like, at the same time, I can see, like, if one is a Christian, Mm -hmm. the practice of kind of just not engaging with, air Mm -hmm. quotes here, evil, and just, like, using the scripture as a bulwark and just Mm -hmm. be like, nope. Yeah. That's interesting. I mean, it's funny, because I actually... I have a a very different interpretation of that particular scene, which is that... I love it. when I, when I, I mean, mostly I was interested in the kingdoms as yeah. the, the the final temptation, and I I actually wrote a paper about it that was titled Ooh. "Why Why Was Jesus Not Incarnate as a Roman Emperor?" Uh-huh. Nice. Um, and I had a I, I sort of wrote a whole I had a whole concept about how yeah. part of the really important idea of Jesus as a sort of poor Galilean, which is a sort of backwater yeah. of the Roman mm-hmm. Empire, yeah. Um, is that there's an issue of um, solidarity and power and mm-hmm. the idea of Christ as someone who's supposed to effectuate the sort of salvation of the poor and the downtrodden and, and yeah. this kind of eschatological re- rever- uh, reversal uh-huh. of the you know the low being made high mm-hmm. it's it would be it would not work he he would be unable to represent those people if he were to be someone who just held power over them, yes. right? right? So even though at one level you could say, wouldn't Christ have been more effective in yeah. his, you know, salvific work if yeah. he had had the power of a Roman emperor, right? Why wasn't he incarnated as yeah. Augustus, um, who was, of course, like a, yeah, kind of competing, you know, they're, they're yeah. uh, anyway. Um, then the question of temptation in that case becomes more the temptation I said to sort of, give up solidarity in the interest of, even if you believe that you're somehow extending the interests of your community mm-hmm. by assuming power, by taking on personal power. To be Stalin. To be Stalin. Yeah, exactly. It's like if you, if you give up this sort of practice of solidarity. So yeah. that in, in that case, you know, I think I've never thought of Satan in, in uh, as, you know, personal terms, except for when reading Milton, where I think he's, yeah, it's one of the best characters yeah. in literature of all time. Mm-hmm. Um but I do really like that view. It makes a lot of sense to me, right? Which is to say, yeah, why why worship the Father? Yeah, if you can't worship me and are given dominion over the world, 
Mm-hmm. Um, how, yeah, why do you worship the Father who will give you dominion over the world? Make you king of everything. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I also, I kind of, this is a response to forms of Christianity that are not necessarily yours, but I also yeah. see that temptation with the kingdoms of the world as being sort of a choice between the worldly and, and the, the divine. And the spiritual, And, yeah. you know, um, Lord of this world. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, which is a name for Satan, right? Yes, yes exactly. The Lord of this world. And yeah. that's, that's one of the titles that I like for him. And yeah. yeah. as a positive thing. Yeah. Um, so if you're reading it from that point of view mm-hmm. versus your point of view, it, you know. Yeah, I see what you mean. I mean, it's, yeah, you know, there's... Uh, I think it's a pretty fascinating. Well, that that's a that's definitely a conception of Christianity that I think is very common. Is that it it um, sells out the material world for the spiritual yeah. world, right? Which, of course, you know, I Jesus mean, does. Well, you, not to have a gotcha moment, but yeah. there is quite a bit of material in the Gospels where Jesus says that. Yeah, or I think seems to say that. I think so, but if you take the incarnation seriously. And if you take the belovedness of creation to God seriously, you really can't maintain a hard and fast distinction between spirit and matter, even though, and Paul, huge, I mean, Paul's theology is so massively supported by a spirit-matter distinction. Mm -hmm. I read it a little differently um, because Mm -hmm. I actually like Paul as where as many progressive Christians find Paul the hardest part of the Bible to deal with. I Mm -hmm. I think some of Paul in terms of collective duty and, and yeah. um, I think a lot of when he talks about the sort of problems of material reality is a, a call to meditate on death and, mm-hmm. and solidarity mm-hmm. and one's obligation to others yeah. to take up the cross is to, to in some ways leave material reality, give up its pleasures in the name of redeeming material reality. If that our way, the way that we occupy the material world is to live for others. Mm-hmm. I think that is both a, in some ways, a resignation of the material world oh. and its its reconciliation, its redemption, okay. right? If you think of the material world as metabolism and, you know, sort of like um, bellum uh-huh. omnia contra omnes, like, you know, that, that okay. you can actually heal ma- material world by living in solidarity. Um, uh-huh. So that's that's an interesting, yeah. But yeah. I do think, I think it, it does hinge on our a major point of distinction in our theologies, um, yes. which is really interesting, which is this question of obedience versus, uh, I don't know what the Luciferian I mean, model ours, would be. I think we would call it solidarity. Yeah, yeah. Maybe. Yes. Um, and conscience, maybe. Conscience, mm, that's one way to put it. Um, you know, I, I can't give you a single mm-hmm. value mm-hmm. Um, to place versus obedience. Mm-hmm. Um, so many words come to mind. Um independence mm-hmm. came to mind. Solidarity also came to mind in mm-hmm. those sounds I mean, opposed to each other, independence, but, not. but also interdependence. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, that makes sense. Self-determination. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's also a place in Satanism, and I'm sometimes reluctant to acknowledge this because it's such the, the stereotype, but there is a place for the anti Mm-hmm. And to simply mm-hmm. say disobedience yeah, and rebellion. Yeah, yeah that makes um, sense. Yeah. There's, a, a, well, fuck Aleister Crowley in general, but yes. he has a poem, Hymn to Lucifer, uh-huh. the last line of which is, the key of joy is disobedience. Mm-hmm. Um, that is a sticking point uh, yeah. in our theologies, obviously, and we're not going to resolve that one. Mm-hmm. And there's uh, there's a lot of 
value that I acknowledge in obedience and surrender, mm-hmm. actually, mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and, like, acceptance yep. and certain... Um, well, actually, they're kind of stoic values. They are stoic really. values. Yeah. Huge. I mean, they're, yeah. they're majorly important to Christian yeah. theology, yeah. early Christian development. Theology. Yeah. Um, and there's a lot of value in that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I actually, I have to find ways to practice those things mm-hmm. um, that can be uh, reconciled with my very different yeah. theology yeah, yeah, that yeah. isn't built for those values yeah. as much as it is built for sort of this, like independence, um, rebellion, self-determination stuff. Um, but I think in a lot of ways, Christians, especially who are into liberation theology, have to find ways to accommodate self-determination and disobedience and rebellion. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I do think, I think in an interesting way, Mm -hmm. at least in terms of the historic, the, 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 um, historical kind of patrimony of Christianity that yeah. it gives us. The early church is hugely built on on rebellion yes. in a sense. And mm-hmm. I think what's interesting is that a lot of the language of obedience, that especially after the kind of imperial turn in yes. Christianity, became a way to encode obedience to authority, to yeah. the sort of over-determinations of one society. What, what a lot of that language was used for in the early church was to talk about disobedience. Exactly, right? Yeah. Yep. Obedience to God, God is not obedience, obedience to Caesar. To, exactly. Yeah. And that, that that kind of anti-imperial bent of mm-hmm. um, yeah. early Christianity is really important. I think, you know, the reception history of Christianity is obviously, you know, 2,000 years of Western history, yes. more or less. Yeah. Um, and is as, you know, varied as, as anything, right? It's exactly. The, the, the language has been sort of directed in so many ways. But when you think of the actual context in which a lot of these texts are written, it is, um, yeah, it's, it's rebellion, you know, its goal is to undermine this, um, over-determination by worldly powers Mm -hmm. through an assertion of a higher authority. And I think that often where there is a sticking point in, in, or, uh, you know, I've only yeah. been talking about Satanism for like, you know, 24 hours now, so forgive me. You yeah. are a quick study. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, I think one of the places that we've kind of yeah. run, on, hit the rocks a little bit in our conversation is that for me, this idea of a higher authority becomes yeah. a structure through which to disobey, through which to um, maybe problematize mm-hmm. the, uh, mm-hmm. the world as given to you. Right. Yeah. So you say, okay, this is not the only world, right? Yeah. This world is not the inevitable world. Yep. Um, and in that sense is not one, you know, I, I can actually look for terms of justice that exceed what seems to be possible now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think interestingly in spirit, we actually kind of ultimately agree uh, in, a, you know, in so many ways. Yeah, in so in many, many ways. ways. Yeah, it's, you mean, know, there are many, many paths. One mountain is a funny thing to say about Satanism and Christianity. Christianity but, but yes. Well, so actually, one thing that has been re- remarked on often, but it's definitely coming to mind uh-huh. um, a lot in this discussion, is uh, who are the two morning stars? The two sons of the morning. Oh, uh, that's used for Satan, and that's used for Jesus. Oh, is that, that true? same title? That's really Morning strange. Star. Yeah. <laughs> yep, some um, people think they're the same person, and we, of course, well, disagree. Well, Helena uh, Blavatsky was Ugh, Well, she's high, awful. Um, uh-huh. And an Arianist. But, uh-huh. uh, <laughs> so, I mean, it, it's really funny. Luciferianism is a very yeah. broad and strange and idiosyncratic mm-hmm. um, umbrella yeah. term. I even know 
Luciferians who say that Jesus is their Lucifer figure, uh-huh. at which point I'm like, I'm not really sure if you're a Luciferian, but okay. Like, yeah. Um, it, it gets a little brain baking when you well, go they, there. Yeah. But, um, I can sort of yeah. see it though. I mean, if, yeah. looking at Jesus as the sort of, um, anti-imperial cynic, Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think uh, yeah. you can definitely think of him, and you know, and and yeah. there's actually a fascinating history. That I, I in school I was yeah. reading. There's um, these uh, things mm-hmm. that predate the Gospels, yeah. which are um, birth narratives for Caesar Augustus, uh-huh. and okay. they're very similar to the birth narratives of, of Jesus. Interesting. And so, a lot of people have talked about how the 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 authors of the Gospels. Um, uh huh. Actually, were attempting to subvert these imperial tropes. By saying, okay, you think that, you know, the guy on the top of the Roman pecking order yeah. is your savior. What if it's actually, you know, this a crucified like, Jew from the most backwater provincial area of the empire, right? Which is cool. Which actually. is very cool. I mean, yeah, and I, you know, I um, yeah. I like to say sometimes, like, the crucifix is such a strange image. Um because yeah. the the contemporary equivalent would be like wearing a little electric chair. I've literally said your, this exact yeah. thing. I've yeah. used that exact metaphor. Yeah. It would be like wearing an electric Which chair. Which is crazy. And yeah. we, we kind of lose the the like, spark of Christianity because it's such a we're so oversaturated with its images. Yeah. But when you actually think about it, the worship of a condemned, executed criminal is a fairly radical stance to take. Yes. And you know, yeah. if you read the book of Acts, the apostles yeah. are in prison. 90% of the time, yes. you know, it's like, that's yeah. almost the whole, you know, even though Acts is, it's a yeah. little bit, you know, the adventures of the Jesus pals, yeah. um, you know, or like the second Marvel movie or whatever. It, uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, it is surprising how, again, kind of anti-Christianity yeah. was at yeah. a point. Um, mm-hmm. I also, I mean, I love the apocryphal Acts of the Apostles. Those are fun. I don't think I've ever read any they're, of like, get really the, They're really Well, there are a lot of like, fucking is bad partially but also yeah. like they like go to a tribe of cannibals oh yeah there's oh yeah they always there's a ton i mean the whole book of acts is like that that's like yeah. it's like you know paul like squares up with uh you know uh, i know it's so follower much... of mythras or actually i guess it's artemis right so, but it's uh, so much yeah fun. they have this yeah. like funny little debate where he's like you worship a god of silver you know it's like yeah. so, <laughs> and they love to always they're always like um really over parodying uh pagan beliefs they're uh-huh. like you carve a block of wood into a god and then use the other half to cook your dinner and you know, <laughs> like, they're obviously like no we don't like you know, it's like shut up yes yeah, <laughs> That's delightful. That's beautiful. Yeah, I mean, I I think that the other kind of sticking point we have Mm -hmm. is you have this idea of living entirely for others. Yes, yeah. And to me, you have to live, I mean, you have to live for yourself, which ultimately means living for others. Yeah, yeah, I see that. I mean, it's kind of like the reproduction of some sort of, you know, essential... Resource, right? That yeah. one has. Yeah, and yeah. I think um, uh, there's an interesting. Actually, liberation theologians deal with this a lot, yeah. um, especially um, uh, Dolores Williams, I think, yeah. is a one black feminist theologian. Cool. Womanist theology is her kind of. Mm-hmm. She founded it. She was actually from nice. my school. Cool. Um, and she has this whole problem where she's, she just problematizes the ethic of self-sacrifice because yeah. she says, as a black woman, our, yeah. our entire history is about self-sacrifice, right? Yeah. And that is like what everything is about being 
called to self-sacrifice, called to humility, yep. you know, self-giving, even, you know, physical torture, yeah. right? She says, those are not values that I identify with, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and she has this, her idea is there's also a God of what she calls survival. So she focuses on, um, yeah. now I'm trying to remember her name. Um, what is Hannah, the other, the, the wife of Abraham who he, who he impregnates, you know, his wife is Hannah, right? But then he impregnates the handmaiden. I'm trying it's to remember. Not, his wife was Sarah. Oh, Sarah, yeah. Sarah. Yeah, yeah. 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 Okay. Aleya, or no. No, what is her handmaid's name? Anyway, she focuses on the handmaiden who is mm-hmm. some kind of, you know, Canaanite or Moabite yeah. slave, essentially, yeah. who's impregnated and cast out of the house and yeah. has to survive on her own. And God assists her and her son in surviving in the wilderness. Mm-hmm. And so she creates this Christian ethic of survival and the mm-hmm. idea of the God who is there to support the survival of the downtrodden, not yeah. only to sort of give them this you know, ethic of, of sacrifice yourself, live for others, always, you know, you must suffer for God, for others. Mm -hmm. She says, no, there's also the God who aids in survival, which I think is very important. And I think often, this has been another thing in our conversations in the last couple days that for me, and you know, maybe this is just my own background or something having to do with, um, you know, just kind of temperament. Mm-hmm. I'm attracted to a kind of very absent, very abstract. Yeah. Oh, yeah, of, that's another thing. Yeah, uh, theology, yeah. you know, sort of an onto-theology of a kind of very distant God. And I think uh-huh. for you guys, um, that idea, the ethic of self-sacrifice and the idea of a of a um, distant, mm-hmm. uh, withdrawn divinity is problematic, right? And the yeah. idea of one, a divinity who somehow supports and enters into daily life mm-hmm. um, as a, you know, comforter, as one who brings, uh, yeah, who, who aids in the struggle for survival is really important. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I totally acknowledge that as a major sticking point. I, it's one of the places where I always get stuck in my own thoughts on Christian theology is as much as I support the ethic of self-sacrifice, it has places where it falls apart. Yeah. And, you know, the history of black women in America is a great example. Yeah, and I mean... And women in general, probably. Yeah. yeah. And, I mean... No, you first. No. You. <laughs> We're both having the ethic of self-sacrifice all of a sudden. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, um, yeah, what has happened to us? <laughs> but, um, well, what I was going to say was that for me as well, it's not just survival. Mm-hmm. You can't just survive. Yeah. And in fact, the prizing of just surviving is so punishing. Yeah, definitely. And to me, um, actually this is Enoch, um, mm-hmm. Book of Enoch, Apocrypha, I'm not sure if we've mentioned sources, but so to me, um, another one of Lucifer's consorts is Nama, and mm-hmm. she is this very Promethean figure, mm-hmm. and she has an affair with one of the watchers um, and brings back the knowledge of cosmetics. Uh-huh. Yeah, which is a classic thing associated with the demons. Yeah. They, yeah. they always also, teach women about cosmetics. And also yeah. the knowledge of how to forge weaponry. Uh, yeah. And I... Oh, I actually have this in one of my books. Yeah. About Adam and Eve traditions. Yeah. And what I find really interesting is, so a lot of people would assume like she's brought like you know, lust and war. Yeah. But to me, what she brings is something beyond, like, surviving outside of the garden, something, yeah. like, beautiful and worth having mm-hmm. and transcendent, and then also a disarmed population. Yeah, is given, mm-hmm. is empowered. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And no, so... That makes sense. I it's mean, kind of, she makes me think of, like, 
Asada Shakur is played by Pam Greer is yeah. how I describe her. Yeah, <laughs> she really is. <laughs> no, that's really yeah. fascinating. I mean, that's and that's a nice against the grain reading because I've actually I have encountered those traditions yeah. before, and um, they're almost always discussed by you know commentators yeah. as having to do with yeah the introduction of war and duplicity kind of yeah. like if cosmetics being sort of double doubleness or yeah, yeah. trickery of various. Well, that's actually one of the fun things about Satanism is that you can sort of embrace doubleness yeah, a little bit yeah, yeah. Um, in various ways yep. and challenge whether that's really a bad thing. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And the, well, f- for one thing, um, particularly in the Zohar, there's all these beings uh, being created as um, initially one androgynous thing. Uh-huh. Uh, Adam and Eve yep. is one yeah. example. Mm-hmm. And then Samael and Aisha. And Aisha mm-hmm. Samael being another name of the mm-hmm. devil. Um, or another. And um, there's just... There's gender weirdness all mm-hmm. over demonology. But mm-hmm. also not, not just gender. There's like the human and the animal yep. blending and just kind of mm-hmm. all these boundaries and these, yeah. you know, mixtures yeah. of different natures that mm-hmm. are not supposed to go together. Yeah. And that's something that I think is really cool yeah. and, and interesting. Yeah. yeah, that's that's actually, yeah, it's funny. There's, um, I was just reading this Pierre Klosowski, who's a fantastic mm-hmm. sort of associate with the Surrealists, mm-hmm. friends of George mm-hmm. Bataille and Maurice Bouchot. Um, and he, uh, brother of Balthus, the painter, actually, interestingly. Mm-hmm. Nice. Um, but he wrote a book called The Baphomet. Oh, um, nice. And it's, it's a great, weird novel about... Um, Love it. It starts in a Templar monastery. Nice. Uh, on sort of two days before the Templar are dissolved by... Mm-hmm. French kings or Philip or somebody. Yeah, some, some French, French king. king, yeah. Um, eh. And then the sort of three quarters of the novel are actually set in um, this kind of timeless afterlife where everyone nice. are just these things called breaths and they're kind of interacting. And it's this. Klosowski was actually a Dominican monk yeah. for about 12 years. Um, and it, it's this kind of protracted theological discussion. But one of the key characters is the Baphomet, who mm-hmm. is in, in opposition to God, is called like the Lord of Transformations and is about change and yeah. flux and instability. Mm-hmm. Whereas mm-hmm. God, at least as the protagonist of the book, who is the kind of disembodied vapor of the grand master of the Templar order, uh, believes God to want is is discrete identities, right? Yeah. A clear relationship of, you know, people as... Uh, hmm. And in this yeah. world of breaths, everything is intermixing and mingling and yeah. changing, and God is trying to force them to assume these distinct yeah. identities, which is impossible. Um, so I do think that's an interesting point. Like... Um, and I think, yeah, ambiguity, like, uh, in that kind of, yeah, d- doubleness and complexity and, you know, many of these features of, um, I guess maybe lived experience that are yeah. maybe, like, problematized by, uh, Christianity in certain yeah. ways. And I think that's, that's, it's true, but I think the, ultimately the yeah. interest there is for, um, uh, a disciplined relationship to one's moral identity, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I wouldn't say that, like, the idea of, like, you know, gender ambiguity or even, you know, um, all the kind of doubleness, because Christianity is full of doubleness, right? Yes. Yeah. Human and divine, yeah, I you know, uh, appearance, uh, transcendence and imminence, uh, material, spiritual, you know, yeah. these complex dialectics are set up all yeah. over Christianity. And in fact, Klosowski in some of his uh, theological writing yeah. talks about how the Christian preoccupation is not difference, but uh, indistinguishableness. So 
how do you distinguish Christ from the devil? How do you distinguish matter from spirit? How do you mm-hmm. distinguish good from evil? Can God from the demiurge? Like that is this kind yeah. of Christian preoccupation. So I do think, um, yeah. and, and yeah, it's not always about actually reaching the clear distinction, right? It's yeah. often about holding these things in complex tension yeah. with one another. And I would say, yeah, yeah and having, having the material put our relationship to the spiritual in crisis and having the spiritual put our relationship to the material in crisis and this kind of continuous change and growth and development, which is ultimately a question of, um, like we uh, mentioned before, as in our discussions, a question of discipline and just continuously applying one, working through one's tenets in a kind of machine-like practiced way, right? Yeah. Um, which is, yeah, interesting. So I want to get back to kind of a sticking point because mm-hmm. um, I think that one of them is really ultimately the location and the nature of God. Mm-hmm. And when I say that, I mean in relation to the self. Yeah. Now, um, and also the number of gods, really. Uh-huh. Um, some Satanists are actually monotheists so they yep. just think the only god is satan and i'm like no okay mm-hmm. some are ditheistic so it's mm-hmm. kind of more of a you know a binary a yeah. binary there's god and the devil mm-hmm. i'm very polytheistic yeah and i yeah. believe there's there's all kinds of gods that i don't even bother mm-hmm. worshiping mm-hmm. I, yeah. I kind of tend to believe that most if not all gods are could be real mm-hmm. um i do not worship mm-hmm. lucifer mm-hmm. Um, yeah. The oh, that's the yeah. end goal. I mean, that's actually that's another really yeah, interesting and challenging part. Point, yeah. So you could think of, and when you put this in very like yeah. facile terms, the goal of Christianity being salvation, mm-hmm. whatever that is. Yep. Yeah. I'll redefine that. Um, the goal of Luciferianism is apotheosis which is mm-hmm. to become god oneself mm-hmm. and in genesis 3 you know yep. it's like mm-hmm. you eat the fruit and you become as god no yep. good and evil mm-hmm. um which i love because it if you accept the serpent as the devil mm-hmm. then up front that's like his agenda yeah yeah um and so the god that i worship is i i call it the inner god mm-hmm. you can call it higher self yeah. Um, you could call it, if you're Aleister Crowley, Holy Guardian Angel is almost kind of the same idea, uh, maybe. Yeah. Doesn't have um, quite a good ring to it. I, I, I don't really, I'm not a fan. It's a little new agey. It's there. very new agey, yeah. and then they all abbreviate it to HGA, and that's Which just sounds cheesy. like GHB or something. Yeah, it's not, it human growth hormone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway, but, and you could theorize, like, well, maybe all of the inner gods are connected in their one thing. Yeah. I don't, I don't really mess with that question yeah. yet. Yeah. Um, I had the funniest, you know, I've been having the funniest experience of relating to Jesus, uh-huh. which is very hubristic sounding. Uh-huh. Um, sorry. That's the whole That's thing. We're supposed we do. to do that. We're yeah. supposed to do that. Um, but, uh, so when he's praying mm-hmm. in the garden mm-hmm. and, um, He's in Gethsemane, yeah. Yeah. He's saying, let this cup pass for me. Yeah, Um, I love that part. I love it, but I just, I got this weird twang earlier when I was reading that, because I'm going, wait, he's praying to himself. Mm -hmm. I do that. Mm -hmm. I do that every morning. Mm -hmm. I pray to, like, this part of myself that is more perfect and that I can't 
I can't conscious brain yeah. my way into yeah, yeah, yeah. you have to pray and meditate mm-hmm. and do all these other disciplines to get closer to it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I and so it's it's hilarious because in a sense I'm striving for unity yeah. with my God. Yeah. I just and in some ways that sounds so very very similar to Christianity. Yeah. But it kind of fucks some things up uh-huh. when it's not because it's not God Almighty. And yeah, actually, yeah. that's another very important sticking yep. point mm-hmm. is I don't believe in any God actually being omnipotent. Yeah, I mean, that's, well, yeah. Which is... <laughs> We've got, like, quite that's a theological a hard, roster, yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Uh, there, there's a lot going on. Yeah. But, um, so there, there isn't really any God that I can fully prostrate before and be yeah. like, I am so small and you are so big. Yeah. I mean, I could do that to the devil, but... Um, he hates it when you do that. Uh-huh. N- no, like, really, it might sound crazy, but you can feel a sense of withdrawal yeah yeah a little like repulsion yeah yeah "Mm," you know get up like what are you doing yeah why Um, did you debase yourself like that yeah yeah. i i uh i get that i mean okay uh so nature of god right in terms of polytheism um yeah uh in the inner god uh is another no sorry this is a a, a, this is a shit fuck stack no no but it's good (laughs) it's it's good it's actually i'm interested to run down the roster Yeah. Um, yeah uh worship uh and obedience uh-huh. i think is an interesting okay so i would start with um the question of polytheism uh-huh. um it's a really fascinating evolution in judaism and christianity yes um, yes where you move from polytheism because of course in the old testament there's a strong representation of uh basically uh, forms of polytheism and then I'm forgetting the term. I think it's henotheism. Yes. yes which you... is the worship of one God in, in, in a group that other, yeah, yeah where many yeah. exist. Um, and, you know, throughout the Old Testament, that is clearly in evidence. Like, you yeah. know, there's a part where a Moabite king sacrifices his child to his God and that actually wins him the battle, you know, yeah. which suggests that Yahweh is not kind of singular in that sense. Yeah. Um, but it's simply a national or, you know, the deity yeah. of a particular yeah. people whose interests are those of that people. Yeah. Yes. Um, and, and this is where the idea of monotheism is really interesting to me, is that slowly you have this evolution of monotheism out of this kind of polytheistic, henotheistic um, yeah. identity. And where that starts to happen is during the um, uh, Babylonian exile. Oh. Yeah. So basically what happens is Jerusalem is destroyed, the temple is destroyed, the entire... Um, nationalist yeah. model of their religion, which was not monotheistic, mm-hmm. is called into question because it's like, well, how can Yahweh be God? How can he be our God if he got beaten by the Assyrian yeah. God, by the Babylonian yeah. God, by you know everybody, right? Because the Jews were just getting hammered all the time yeah. by everyone. Mm-hmm. They're taken, you know, the temple is raised to the ground. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They're taken out of their native land. The God is associated with that yeah. land. And, you know, in Ezekiel, he has this vision. Ezekiel's insane, but you know, Ezekiel <laughs> has a vision of God um, in a chariot leaving yep. the temple. To, and, yeah. and Ezekiel's the first generation of people taken to Babylon. Mm, yeah. So for him, it's like, okay, our national God is now traveling, right? Like he can follow us where we go. He's not linked to this oh, place, wow. to this temple, to this house, yeah. as he is in Isaiah and the earlier prophets. And then slowly in Second Isaiah or yeah. like um, mm-hmm. yeah, Deutero Isaiah, you have the discussion where finally they start talking about idols and they're saying, 
idols are wood. There are no other gods. And this is on the return from Babylon. Yeah. And so, oh, and yeah, sorry, there's is, more stuff about Isaiah in a second. I mean, Isaiah, yeah, we'll he's, he's fantastic. But um, what's so interesting is, yeah, so you have this yeah. evolution of a national god who's linked to the interests of one people to a universal god who mm-hmm. is a a god of just justice, right? A god yeah. of universal justice. And, of course, in Second Isaiah, there's still stuff about how the Jews will be on the, you know, they'll be the leaders of the world because they'll be uh, the priests or whatever. You know, yeah. So there's, there's still some nationalist, uh, ethnocentric stuff kind of running through it. But mm-hmm. I do think that evolution from the god of a people, which is about individual interests, yes. right? My god is better than yours. And it's, you know, ultimately about domination and control yeah. and mm-hmm. self-advancement to a god whose purpose is to orchestrate history in towards this you know long arc of justice mm-hmm. i think is a beautiful concept and i think that uh that commitment to let's let's worship the source of goodness let's worship the condensation of what is right and uh-huh. healing um and encourages human flourishing uh-huh. um to me is something that i can get behind in terms of monotheism like yeah. i would say that the world is still full of, you know, thrones and powers and, you yeah. know, there, there are still the princes of the world, whether those are people or, you know, capitalism or the weather or our <laughs> metabolism or whatever yeah. horrible uh, you know, problems we encounter. Like, yeah. uh, mm-hmm. But I think that monotheism as this, yeah, as this idea of, of honoring the kind of mm-hmm. um, the vector towards perfection uh-huh. is something that I can actually endorse. And especially when you think of it as a crisis for nationalism, ethnocentrism, yeah. any mm-hmm. kind of self-advancing logic um, yeah. that is about uh, he- establishing hegemony or control yeah, totally. or domination. Um, so that's an interesting point. I think... But then the problem of evil kind of kicks it in the ass. Well, the problem of evil... I, I have a lot of thoughts on the problem. Well, I love your... What yeah. you, I love what you told our aunt or what you should oh yeah yeah i was i had an argument with um hazel and i um or vincent and i sorry yeah. it's okay uh our aunt uh is i don't know how to describe her she's a new yorker she's you know very kind of well-to-do lady mm-hmm. and she's you know very much that kind of boomer generation anti you know secular to the core kind of one of these people who's picked up a little bit of Dawkinsy new atheism yeah. but not yes. not super enthusiastically okay. anyway she was arguing with me about the problem of evil and she said like well how could you know the god allow children to suffer um mm-hmm. and i sort of said to her it's like well it seems crazy that you can be like endorse capitalism and say that like okay for in my view of theodicy children have to suffer because of the question of free will mm-hmm. in your theodicy children have to suffer so that you can have like a mercedes or something which mm-hmm. seems to me like if that's the trade-off if ultimately the question of humans being human is the explanation for um the problem of evil that seems much more satisfactory than the kind of capitalist one right which is some people have to suffer for other people to sort of thrive in whatever way yeah. um but I mean, and, and the, the, the free will problem is, yeah, that's that's a classical story. Actually, the, yeah. you know what, I'm not even going to touch the free will problem. Um, <laughs> because the question of who really gets the credit for free will is thorny uh-huh. um, yeah. between our theologies. Yeah. Oh, um, I see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. I think the reason that I really don't want to be on board with a god that's supposed to be both, you know, omnipotent and omnibenevolent... Yeah is because if you really need 
to believe in a just world, mm-hmm. you can psychologically fuck yourself up really badly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, sometimes it's hard in that mm-hmm. point of view to not fall back on, well, God must have a plan. I have a plan or a purpose. Which, you know, yeah. I'm sure there's much more sophisticated replies to that theologically, no, no. but for the person, the believer suffering, well, yeah. that's very hard. I think, I think there's, there's two points to be made there. I mm-hmm. think on one level, I think that I personally find that the, the free will uh, answer to the problem of evil, aside from natural disasters, which I don't really know how to account for, but uh, is, is largely satisfactory. Mm-hmm. But like many philosophical questions, the philosophical answer is not functional for people experiencing imminent or, you know, present bereavement, yes. right? Yeah. So saying to the person like, oh, well, if you think about it, you know, in order for humans to be fully human, you know, we have to have a world in which, you know, we are able to follow our own course, which allows us to introduce evil into the world. That's not really going to help someone no. whose child is suffering. Um, yeah. Uh, or yeah. whose child has just died, or you know, who's yeah. gravely ill, or whatever. So mm-hmm. you know, that's just a that's almost a pastoral problem, I would say. Yes, yeah. it is. Um, but then uh, at another level, the question of believing in a just world, uh, I, I think, is one where you can. What's disturbing about believing in an omnibenevolent and omnipotent God is that you can actually. Um, ignore suffering yeah. or, or explain it away to yourself. Yeah. Right? Or you can be like, well, maybe I deserved that. Maybe I deserved it. Yeah. Which is a very, you know, again, like yeah. I think dad has said this to me before. Yeah. It's like, it can be a very like abused child yeah, kind no, of like, but I would say that my idea is that it has nothing to do with the, the present justice of the world. It's not that the world is currently just right. It is as it should be. Yeah. I think it's, um, you have to think of it in again, because God exists at the end of all time in the timeless outside of the world. Right. In that way, I think of it, I prefer to look at um, the justice of the world as the infinite capacity the world has for healing its okay. wrongs and its wounds, right? Yeah. And for there's a beautiful line from the, the sometime Archbishop of Canterbury where he says yeah. um, that the story of Jesus is the idea that perhaps the unaltered memory of hurt can be incorporated into our lives and not, not forgotten not papered over, but simply mm-hmm. processed and lived with. And I, I like to think of it as the principle of death that we encounter in our lives can be made part of our lives and yes. can be made to live. And if death can be made to live in the sense that when we mourn, yeah, that mourning becomes part of how we live. It becomes part of our flourishing, even though it's painful, I think is, is a, you know, a way where you can actually look at a, yeah, where you can say, you know, there is a capacity for healing that makes the world just, and yeah. it's on us. You know, it's a huge duty that we have. I mean, He's uh, just agreeing with us again. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> He's a heretic. I'm a heretic, You're going to have to yeah, He's from the Satanist. Uh, um, sorry, anyway. But, <laughs> yeah, because I mean, yeah. to us, um, sort of, there's this sort of principle, there's a tendency, which I think I at least would call... <laughs> God, or mm. I mean, I get a little gnostic because yeah. I have my big God. Yeah. Like we don't Spino- perfectly agree with each other. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's kind of a Spinozan God yeah. who's just like the is of isness and yeah, isn't yeah. really a will. Yeah, mm. just like the infinite thinking substance. Yeah, it doesn't even necessarily yeah. think; it just is. Yeah, yeah. Um, and we're all in it. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I would call the Christian God to mm-hmm. me is this sort of principle of domination. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and the principle of inequality 
And mm-hmm. to me, Lucifer is like, okay, mm-hmm. why don't we get together and fight that guy because he's yeah. a dick? Well, that's very Gnostic. I mean, then yeah. then it's like, you're, that's the Demiurge, right? Yes. That's not the, the god. To yeah. me, the high god isn't really, like, you don't worship it. It's not really... Yeah, yeah. And the goal isn't unity with it. It just sort of... Yeah. It's there yeah. off to the side. But I mean, I would, th- I would say the Gnostic principle, right, is the yeah. Demiurge. Well, first of all, the Demiurge isn't exactly evil, but he's just mixed up and well, wants worship, right? it depends uh, on, on which... Gnosticism, because yeah. I mean, yeah. there are Gnosticisms. Well, there is no Gnosticism. It's I, really the, I know. the scholarly consensus now know. is that it's a, it's sort of a misnomer for yes. a variety of... Weird sex. Valentin or whatever. Uh, anyway, Valentinian. Valentinian, um, yeah. Like, uh, um, But to me as well sort of, um, the hope is to fight together for a just world. Yeah, and I, and I think that that's totally yeah. right, right? But I mean, yeah. I think that in Christianity, it's like the duty to the neighbor uh-huh. um, is basically the only, you know, the duty to God, which is the principle of goodness, the principle of yeah. mercy and healing, yeah. mm-hmm. and then the duty to the, to the neighbor, to the yeah. person beside you, who is Christ always, right? Yeah. That Christ is seen in the neighbor, like Christ is okay. are, is those who suffer, right? Yeah. When I was in prison, you visited me, right? Yeah. When I was naked, you, you know, when I was yeah. hungry, you fed me, right? Yeah. That is, so the suffering person is the embodiment of Christ, right? So it is, it's a duty to others. Um, yeah. And I think thinking of the Christian God as the principle of domination, I totally see where you're coming from because there's lots of that in the Bible. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But there's also a lot of the other thing, right? Yeah. yeah. So it's, I mean, yeah. Come see, come see. Come see, come see. Domination, freedom, yeah. Whatever. Yeah. <laughs> um, but then the other one, what I was about to say was, I mean, we also have very much, like, death is a big deal. Mm. Um, <sighs> well, I mean, how do you think I converted? Um, yeah. Taking death seriously. Taking death seriously. Problem. Well, as a. a Mm, a problem and a inevitability. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I I converted to Luciferianism about mm, four years ago. No, mm. almost five. Um, and then in the last year, I became very, 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 very devout mm-hmm. um, yeah. due to four people that I really loved just dying mm-hmm. in rapid succession and entering, um, you know, an intense spiritual crisis of mm-hmm. the sort that knocked the last of the of my new atheist phase mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. right out of my soul. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Um, because I tell you, well, yeah. I know that there are people who can deal with grief mm-hmm. without religion. I don't know how, personally. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm not yeah. afraid to admit that I have no fucking idea yeah. how. Um, but, okay, so that's my personal yeah. thing about death. But, um, you know, I mean, also the thing with Aisheth and the sort of idea of the blossoming of life that is decay. Well, yes, she's very cyclical. She's the Ooh, decay. Yeah, she yeah. she because was the, I'm the yeah the maggots teeming and the rotting yeah. corpse is like she she's kind of nasty but she's very regenerative. Mm-hmm. She's yeah. very fecund. Well, yeah, yes. exactly. But, she's Mother yeah. Nature at her most mm-hmm. sort of raw. Yeah, yeah. and she's also. She's so, like, she was there, like, during the plague, not because she caused it, but because she came with it. Yeah. She just kind of is. Yeah. yeah. I see that. I mean... Yeah. Yeah. Um, tricky, yeah. 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 And so, very much the, like, you die to live, and you live towards death, and you die towards living, in a certain way. Yeah. And yeah, we're yeah. back to, we're not almost 
we're almost not even reverse Christians. We've gone full circle nearly into Christianity, except no. <laughs> well, um, yeah, I mean, I, think I mean, all religions, or very many of them, yeah. if you break them down far enough, and mm-hmm. you have people who sort of morally and politically mm-hmm. agree, even if not theologically, it kind mm-hmm. of becomes similar things with different names a lot of the time. Yeah, definitely, yeah. And it's, you know, I think it's a fascinating discussion, too, when you really get into the nitty-gritty of a kind of... Um, yeah. ecumenical, I guess in this case yeah. it's not ecumenical as much as interfaith, yeah. unless you can consider Satanists one branch of Christianity. Some people do consider uh, uh, yeah, it's, like, it's a big umbrella too, uh, Christianity. Uh, but I feel like to be a Christian, you should probably actually like Jesus. Yeah. Like, I, I feel like that's a qualification. Yeah, you could probably draw a line in the sand. Sometimes, though, I think it makes up where I, sometimes I feel like I'm a, a Christian who's more into into the absolute divinity that I am into Jesus. But I do like Jesus. You love Jesus. I really do love Jesus. Yeah, they yeah. are the same. Yeah, uh, but those... Anyway, but I was just going to say that... The, it even that trips these, you up remembering the, that they're all the same person. <laughs> Not yeah. even you can I keep track. What's great about the interfaith yeah. dialogue, though, is that it forces you into a, a way of really kind of processing a lot of these deep commitments. Yes. And, yeah. and even getting different angles on them helps you refine your belief. Not because it's like sharpening my blade on my adversaries or, you know, whatever, <laughs> yeah, but yeah. actually just saying like, oh, well, this is a point of distinction and something yeah. that really matters to me. And, 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 you know, I'm not willing to give up my this particular idea yeah, yes. of a God who's radically transcendent, or I'm not willing to give yeah. up my idea of a unitary God. Or, yeah. or God I'm not that, yeah. willing to give up or to my... My God, who kind of, I mean, even, so I was thinking about trying to explain how present Satan feels without sounding crazy. And then I realized that even in Christian theology, Satan is like in the world and he's kind of whispering in your ear and he's like getting in your business. And like as a Satanist, that's more what it feels like, honestly. Yeah. Except it's not in like a scary, tempting you, gonna take your soul kind of yeah. way. No, he's not the gentlest. Yeah. I don't consider him evil. I consider him very good, but he. Um, he's an ass kicker. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's he's in a sense he is he's Satan. He's the adversary. Yeah. And I think the of tester, it. Tester. Yeah. Yeah, I think yeah. of it as adversary, um, mm-hmm. almost more in like a, a sportsmanlike way. Totally. In a game, he's yeah. just like, come on, game on. What yeah. have you got? You're gonna get better. Yeah. yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, one thing I, like I did that. want to mention yes. it came Sorry. it's a little far back, but your the idea of the neighbor is Christ. Yeah. Timmy, since you know, I believe very much in my inner divinity, I believe in the inner divinity of all humanity. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. So, yeah it kinda works out. But, yeah. Well yeah. that's what's the there's some there's some classic formulation, right? Yeah. Christ is the new man, the true man and <laughs> One other kind of man. Paul <laughs> Newman. Yeah, Paul Newman. Yeah, so, I wanted yeah, to say so blue man, and I'm like, that's man, not new, right. Yeah, it's, I think it's, yeah, it's new man and true man and uh, something else. Human. Yeah, it's, true man. Human. <laughs> yeah, he's supposed to be the new Adam, but also yeah. the instantiation of the sort of truest qualities of other people, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And that's why, yeah, and that's, yeah. you know. And there's that whole thing with Paul where he says, like, well, when did we visit you? And he's like, whenever you visit, the, you yeah. know, whenever you help yeah. the least among you, you're then, helping me. Yeah. Right? yeah. So it's like, I think that that's... Even I got yeah. a little choked up at that part. I know, exactly. You're always like a little bit like, oh, the Bible sometimes. Yeah. yeah. Like, well, I think that the other know? thing is, it's a nice reminder that we're not reverse Christians. We're, we have our own other yeah. thing. And yeah, yeah, yeah. so, 
like you know, communism isn't reverse capitalism. <laughs> we have. Oh, that's really a weird. <laughs> yeah, Vincent yeah. said that to me this morning, and I just started cracking up. That is hilarious. And trying to imagine what reverse capitalism <laughs> would, would be. be it felt like it would be even more capitalism yeah, somehow. I don't know. And so um, yeah, and so to me, it's we're not a reversal. We're yeah. an idea of our own. Yeah, yeah. And it's also, it's a little bit like. You know what it's like? A little bit like, and this is going to sound really flip because this is stuff that's really deeply important yeah. to all of us. Mm-hmm. But it's like discussing your taste in movies with someone you like mm-hmm. because it's like, okay, I didn't like, yeah, you yeah. know that because like I don't know, Chris Farley's voice weirds me out. Yeah, yeah. and so it kind of it makes you think about why. Some of it does come down to aesthetics and temperaments and just yeah, sort of, yeah. like, shadings of how you want to approach the same problems. Definitely, yeah. I mean, because one thing I've been thinking about a lot is, as I was saying, about not really believing in a just universe mm-hmm. or any kind of, like, all-powerful mind that is has Wondering. any kind of plan whatsoever. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And having this god who's very much about, like... It's not a just world. Yeah, yeah. Get mad. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, which is kind of similar. To let's storm heaven. Yeah, yeah. Except, yeah, yeah, yeah. don't storm heaven. Yeah, you know, cast down the Romans. I guess. I don't yeah. Know. yeah, 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 yeah. Tell the Pharisees to fuck off. Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah. like, yeah. It's like yeah. rich people. I think totally kind of more or less. Um, yeah. you know, honestly, we have been going for quite a while, and we could probably keep going for quite a while longer. Um, we could do the two-parter. <laughs> oh, God. We could leave it here and then next I time. Would, yeah, yeah, I would say let's, let's go for round two another good. time. Yeah, yeah that yeah. was a pretty good theological. I was, I was happy with that. That, that was, was a good that ecumenical was a dialogue. It would I'm make just, us... Okay. Don't, yeah. don't stop it, because right. we still have to wind up with, with our satanic message, our backward satanic message. Yes. And I don't think I have... You know what? I would like to invite you, Hardy. Oh, God. Just say whatever you want, and we're going to put it backwards, and no one will know what it is. Oh, okay. And go ahead and make this as weird and ironic as you want. Okay, sure. Give me a second. That's fine. Mm. All right. How about... I love it. That's beautiful. Thank you so much, Hardy. That was good. (laughs) Hello. Uh, This has been a episode of Speak of the Devil, the official podcast of the First Church of the Morning Star. Uh, Follow us on Podbean, Google Play, um, fucking iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts that we are. We're not on Stitcher yet, but hey, we're going for it. Um, And check out the band, uh, Electric Mirrors on Bandcamp. They did our theme music. They're pretty badass. Um, See you next time, when we'll probably be discussing Jesus.